Well, it was a um, it was a normal day. I was in sixth grade at the time, and I remember being in class. I don't remember what class it was. But it really doesn't matter. My mom was working at the time. Uh, she was a receptionist for our family doctor, and <clears throat> I remember getting called to the school office, and my mom was on the phone. She had received a call from my dad's place of work, which at the time was Corey High School. They gave, gave her word that something was wrong with my dad and that he was complaining of extreme chest pains and that he couldn't walk and he was having trouble uh, describing what was going on and that this was an emergency. And so my mother called me and said that she was on her way to pick up my father, and they had stressed and said, you know, he really needs to get to the hospital. And so I remember that day so clearly. I remember going into the emergency room because I had never seen my dad in this state before. I remember when we got there, my dad just was laying on a hospital bed, and they were hooking all these instruments up to him in which I didn't know anything that, that involved, but I was panicking <laughs> because I'd never seen my father like that before. And I just wanted some answers to the questions that I had. Make a long story short, <clears throat> the doctors came in and after several tests, after they got my father calmed down, they came to the conclusion and said, Mr. Hotchkiss, we have some bad news for you. The left chamber of your heart is collapsing. And the only way we can fix it is by giving you a new heart. And at the time, I, being in sixth grade, I really didn't know much. I didn't really have a clue as to what that really entailed. And I remember going through the process with my family, and it was really stressful. I remember missing a lot of days of school. I remember we weren't allowed to have people over to our house because my father was ill, and even if you had a cold, he could get sick and he could die. Make a long story short, my father ends up going through a heart transplant, and he lives for 15 years. Now, I know that when we think of a stress test, we don't really put that in the category we don't really put having a heart transplant really too parallel with running on a treadmill to get some results of our body. But what I learned from that is, is that was a stressful test on our family, for my father, for my mom, for us as children. See, we, we all have all gone through our own form of stress test. We all have our own stories here, each one of us. We've all been through stressful tests. For some of us, it's been that nasty divorce, that rocky marriage, our financial situation that we just can't seem to dig our way out of, the loss of a loved one. Those are all stressful tests to us. Somewhere in the midst of our lives, there has been that chamber of our lives that has collapsed. And Jesus comes to us and says, as our doctor, the only way we can really take care of this is to remove what's currently in there and replace it 
with something better and greater. But one thing that I have learned is that God wants to remind us, even in extreme stress, Jesus will get us through to completion. You know, the beauty of this is that God's goal is to make us men and women who are mature in our faith. And I know that sounds absolutely crazy, but sometimes the best products that have ever been made have to go through the fire. They have to go through some sort of stress, some sort of pressure on our lives because our character has to be molded for what God has ahead of us. And some of us here today, we are at a standstill in our journey. We are at a roadblock that we can't get around, and we are feeling the pressure. You're feeling the pain. And you're crying out to Dr. Jesus and you're saying, when are you going to release me from this roadblock? When are we going to get the journey moving? When are we going to press forward? When is it, is it my chamber that is collapsing slowly over time or suddenly? When is it going to get replaced? And Jesus reminds us of what it says in James. James 1.4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Our perseverance in the facing the stresses that we encounter develops our maturity and character, and it aids us in completing what Jesus has for us. I'm telling you, if you want to follow Christ, it is not easy. It's hard. I think of one example of many in the Word of God was Joseph. At a young age, Joseph is given a dream. He's given several dreams, and basically what the dream is interpreted as is that eventually he will rule over his family, and he will rule over a nation. Just this little teenager. It would be like one of your children this morning coming up to you, pulling on your shirt or your leg and saying, Mommy and Daddy, one day I'm going to be your boss. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like coming to them and, telling, and saying to you, I'm going to be president of the United States. Sure you are. Go play with your toys. See, at that time, for Joseph, I mean, that was a ridiculous thing to consider. It would be an embarrassment to his father to even talk about that. And we look at the life of Joseph and how he went through a process where his character was molded under pressure, living a stressful test in life. We hear many preachers say that he went from the pit and then to the palace. Where are you at in your journey right now? Where are you at at that point where it's stressful? We've been walking through the book of Philippians. And Paul the Apostle has been encouraging the church of Philippi over and over and over in the midst of of their roadblocks, in the midst of their journey of faith. And we've been taking the writings of Paul and we've been looking at them and examining together as a congregation. We've been applying it to our lives. 
And we're still in that book of Philippians today, but Paul the Apostle was quite familiar with this phrasing. He, he understood what it meant to live a stressful test. He understood what it meant to pass the stress test of life, the stress test of spirituality and following Christ. He was a veteran of stress. Yet he was confidently optimistic in the midst of his imprisonment. The guy blows my mind with the language that he uses. If we look at Paul's writings, we can see that each one of his letters, intricately woven in and out of every letter, were words such as perseverance, peace, joy, grace, excellence. And then he'll go on and say things like, yeah, I got shipwrecked and... I was bitten by snakes and I went naked for several days without clothing and cold and without, in the cold and without heat and I've gone without meals. But Christ is my joy. And he just throws that in there. And I think of us. We're exhausted physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. If you look at our letters If we were to write them today, in our current moments, our letters may say, I'm tired. I saw the prize, but I'm giving up. I know it's out there, and I know what God has for me, but I just can't do it anymore. I have no hope. It's time to quit. You're tired of sitting at the delay because your prayers haven't been answered. As the engine is idling in your relationship with God, you look at the keys and you're really tempted. Pull them out of the ignition. Just drop them in the seat and walk away. My answer to you is that we need to reduce our stress emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. I'm not going to talk about our physical stress today. I'm going to talk about our emotional and spiritual mental stress. We can start and reduce stress with continuous prayer. I want you to give me the skinny on prayer. So I'm going to ask some of you, I want your definition of prayer. Don't be thinking, uh, some of you right now, you're like, uh, uh, you know, just, just blurt it out. What is your definition of prayer, Gary Sins? Uh, what? Talking to God like he's your best friend. Walking through life with him. And hearing what he's got to say. Hearing what he has to say. Right on. Nate Heinrich. <laughs> What's the skinny on prayer? I just say talking to God. Really. Just talking to God. Okay. I'll leave you guys alone over here. I know you're starting to sweat, so I'll leave you be. You know, it's so funny about prayer. I pray. It's a good thing. But I've noticed over the years, and we talk a lot about prayer, but I also know that not only do we talk about prayer, but we pray less. And instead of resorting to prayer, we resort to other things. 
We look at our self-help books that we find down at Barnes and Nobles or on Amazon or resort to going to people and asking them questions before we even resort to going to Christ first and foremost. And we talk a lot about prayer, but there's less about it. But when I begin to ask people, why don't you pray? I hear the words, well, it's so stressful. There's just so much to pray about. (laughs) Maybe that's why you should pray. And I think about that, and I think about, gosh, if prayer is so stressful, and it's not meant to be stressful, well, maybe we've complicated it. So what I decided to do was to get you some info, and I created a couple tips for us to simplify our prayer life. I want you to watch this. Hi, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. We're getting here ministries. You know, a lot of people come up to us and ask us hard questions about God, the Bible, and spiritual living. And you know why a lot of those questions are softball questions for us? There are actually some pretty good ones. One of them being, how do I have a better prayer life? Well, good news, we got some killer tips to a better prayer life. Before we do that, though, let's start off with a title and some dance moves. No, we're not doing a title and a dance. Let's just kind of get into this. When you're saying a prayer in public, you want to use the phrase Father God as much as humanly possible. Just last week, I said a 30-second prayer and got 17 Father Gods in it. Now look, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying with a little bit of effort, it can be done. If you have a prayer request but don't actually want to request it, simply say, unspoken. I currently have six unspokens that I'm praying for this guy about. Johnny, sorry to bother you, but I actually have another prayer request. Okay. What? It's unspoken. (laughs) Okay, well, that's seven. And while I have no clue what I'm praying about, someone does. Just no one human. The Bible says pray without ceasing, and, well, we believe in the Bible. Chachi has been praying without ceasing for over 32 hours now. Chachi, how do you feel? What? Who said what? Where am I? Well, Chachi, you have been praying for over 32 hours straight. You feel pretty good? Can I get a restroom break? (laughs) Not if you want to fully obey Scripture. Let's say you become privy to some juicy information about someone, but don't want to be seen as a gossip. We've got good news. You're good to go if you put it in the form of a prayer request. I still cannot believe what Jill said to Keith. I can't believe it either. Did you know that John got canned? What? Are you, are you... Let's talk about it in a prayer group. Some think your prayer position is irrelevant. But we have found that your prayer position can not only boost your prayer life, but can stretch you physically. Chachi, why don't you go ahead and show us some examples? Well, I wasn't really planning on praying, but I guess I could give it a shot. Oh, very nice. Good, that is classic. Wow. Seriously, wow. The last thing you do when you pray is fairly obvious. You say, Amen. And if you happen to be in a group of people holding hands, it's imperative that you accompany that Amen with a physical action known as the hand squeeze. The squeeze lets the people on either side of you know, Hey, the prayer's over. I care about you, but I'm letting go now. And when you are holding hands, 
never interlock, because that can make your prayer partners a little uncombed. We want to thank you for watching, or shall I say, growing in your prayer life. Yeah, now can we do the, the title and dance moves? No, just kind of say thanks for watching. And That's seriously unreal. This is actually my miracle position. Now, before some of you are offended, it's important that we understand that prayer is critical for any follower of Christ. But we also have to understand that prayer with God can be fun. And we also have to understand that we are capable of complicating things when it comes to Christ. God gave us prayer for simplicity. Gave us prayer so that we could communicate with him in a simple but respectful manner. It's not about a have-to discipline. It's not about a list of long needs of should I or shouldn't I? Or how do I pray this way? Simple communication with God. Let's look at what Paul says in Philippians 4, 1 through 6. It says, Therefore, my brothers... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Suntaka to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we can see here that after Paul, after we sift through what Paul was talking about, the unity in the body, we begin to sift through all of this and we get down to the nitty-gritty of what Paul was talking about in reference to reducing our stress emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. But I really like how Paul does his letters because he is a genius when it comes to writing. He interweaves again, and he puts all of that in there, and then he drops it in and says, oh yeah, by the way, be anxious for nothing. And then he just keeps going. And basically what he was saying is, is, hey guys, shout! Get excited about where you're at right now. Get pumped up in your current situation. Don't worry about anything. You know why? Because just take it to Jesus. Take it to Christ in prayer. Now you think about that. I don't know your situation right now. And you're saying, yeah, it is not easy to shout in my current circumstance. It's not easy to get excited and jump up and down. And I understand that. But let me show you, sometimes this is what our prayer life is like. We come to Jesus, and we have our issues. And we stand here. Now, this says issue one and two, but there's a reason. Because we started out with issue one, but issue one created issue two. So you get that in a moment. And so we come to Jesus 
And we, we were praying about issue one and we're praying about issue two. And then eventually, that's not good enough. And what happens is, is we, we come to Jesus with issue one, two, and three. And we're praying about it. And what we don't see in the spirit when we see each other is this, because this is what we look like. If we actually put on our spiritual eyes and we could see into the spirit a lot of times, this is what we look like coming to church. Hey, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's fine. And so then what happens is, is through the course of the week, our issues start to grow in our prayer life. And before you know it, this is what it looks like. And we're praying. We're committed. Praying through those issues. But you know what the Word of God tells us? The Word of God does not tell us this is what our prayer life should look like. But somehow we've adopted it. Somehow we've become accustomed to this. And we get so bogged down and we get so meticulous with our prayer life and the issues that we're dealing with that it, that it takes up our full attention our full time. We can't hear God anymore. We can't see because of all this stuff that's in the way. But we're praying to the Lord. You know what the issue is? We haven't released it. We haven't released it over to God. So we're so anxious all the time because we're trying to juggle our issues in prayer. And we're just like, God, when are you going to take care of it? When are you going to deal with it when we should have just did this? I lay it at your feet, Jesus. Now I'm excited. Now I can shout. Because I've given you my circumstances. You fully have me. That's what our prayer life is to be. It's to take those things that we are anxious about, those tests that are so stressful in our lives, and we don't hold on to them, encompassing them all around us, but we take them and we go to Christ. That's what Paul was saying. And we lay them at the feet of Jesus, and we don't return back there to take it into our own strength. I believe sometimes, honestly, some of our prayers aren't answered because we're not willing to take our hands off the situation fully. We're not willing to trust him. We do one of these. Maybe he won't notice. (laughs) Jesus, I totally trust you with this. That's not total trust. That's total trust. One of the things is that in the body of Christ, we've either surrendered or we've misplaced our confidence in the power of prayer. I tell you, there is a gap that is being created in the body of Christ where we are lacking this weapon. Prayer is our weapon. Prayer is what we use to go into battle for those that we love, for our circumstances, and for our issues. It is a solution to what is ahead of us. But somewhere along the line, we've traded that in for anxiety. Somewhere along the line, we've surrendered it over for being situational, 
Somewhere along the line, we've created an undue concern because we don't have enough time to do that. And let me speak one moment to those who are experienced people in prayer. We need you. The younger generation is in need of you. We need you to rise up and to take your position. We need you to grab hold of a younger generation that is suffering from hearing the voice of God. And we need you to grab a hold of us. And we need you to pull in and say, I'm going to show you and teach you just how to commune with God. It is time that you quit sitting. We need you to stand. Because if this generation does not catch the power of prayer in our lives... The body of Christ in the future is going to be in trouble. Young men and women, you have a call of God on your life to be praying. I'm not saying you go and quit your job. What I'm saying is, is there are areas in your life that you are not praying. You do everything else, but you are not setting aside time to pray to the Lord. And you're suffering for that. You need to get a hold of somebody who is experienced and humble yourself and just say, just show me how to do this. Show me how to commune with God. And I tell you, there will be a wave of power in the body of Christ that will rise up and things will begin to shake and things will begin to change. But nothing's going to happen until we rise up together and come together and begin to do that. See, Satan uses stress to weaken us. Stress is a weapon of the enemy. Stress does not come from God. See, our thanksgiving is an acknowledgement that whatever God sends our way is for his better. Notice I didn't say for our better. It's not about us. It's about him working through us. And so when you're in this stressful situation, thanksgiving is is one of our weapons through prayer. We heard it all this morning, all through our songs of worship, through Pastor Don speaking that exhortation over us and saying what the Lord was saying through him. Thanksgiving is what brings us peace. Another thing we need to do is we reduce stress by increasing our peace. How many of you right now can honestly say that you're 100% at peace, minus that everything's going great today? We all have those days. Everything's perfect. We wake up. Everything's perfect. We go to bed perfect. We made it through the day. But how many of you honestly can say that I am 100% at peace right where I'm at, no matter what's going on? No one. See, we need peace. We need peace. We don't just need peace. We need a supernatural peace. A peace that's going to last. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's Paul. In the midst of chains, low quality of food, 
And in extreme discomfort, Paul describes to us and basically says that the only way you're going to pass this stressful test in your life is if you overcome. And the only way you're going to overcome is through the peace of Christ. Think about who is telling us this. The guy who is in chains. The guy who is eating crummy prison food. The guy who really didn't have a bed to lay on is telling us. Telling us in our comfy little pews. Telling us with the clothes that we're wearing this morning because we have them in our closet. Telling us, which 90%, if not more of us, will go home today and have a normal meal. Telling us. That the way we overcome our situations, the way we overcome our issues, our roadblocks, is by obtaining the peace of Christ. Because it overcomes everything else. Everything bows to the peace of Jesus. I believe that a hallmark of any follower of Christ is that we are untroubled, we are calm, and we are at peace in the midst of of crazy situations. I think a lot about Japan. And recently I've been thinking about Joplin. And I think about the devastations as well as many other countries that have faced these things. And what I've been thinking about is the followers of Christ that are in those locations. See, when we're in the midst of intensity... Jesus gives us two options. We can fold to the situation. We can bend. And we can say, oh no. And we can surrender. Or option two is we can focus. We can focus in the moment. We can look at our situation and we can look past our surroundings. We can look past at the physical things that are right in front of us and look in on God's bird eye view and say, what is it that you're going to do through this? And how can I cooperate with you? That's where peace starts. I understand we're human. And I understand that if we were put in any one of those situations, we would be crying. We would be without. There would probably be moments in our lives and in our minds that we would feel as though we have no sense of direction. Because we're human. But we're also followers of Christ. And we have something greater than the current roadblock. We have something greater than the current circumstance, and it's called the peace of Jesus that we can focus in on and rise above with. If we want the power and the anointing to overcome stress, it begins with Jesus being at the center of our lives. And here's why. Jesus is in charge of the opposition we face. Then you may say, whoa, 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 hold up. God's a God of love, man. Jesus wouldn't do that. He's cool. Well, the Word of God tells us that everything that happens in our lives has to be given permission by God. Now, understand this. 
I am not saying that everything that goes bad in our lives is from God, and I'm not saying that everything goes bad in our lives is from Satan. There are times that the enemy attacks, and there are times that God allows things in our lives for us to mature, to grow, to pressure us to make decisions. Sometimes opposition we encounter is for his purpose, and all he is asking for in that moment is us for, to cooperate with his sovereignty. Because I guarantee you, even in the midst of your opposition, God's grace is there somewhere. God's mercy is there somewhere. Because it brings peace. So you're frustrated with your job. Frustrated with your employer. You're frustrated with your employee. You're frustrated with your spouse. You're stressed. And you need peace. Well, I suggest that we celebrate our frustration by praying. The beauty of frustration is that it's an aid. It's an aid to help us view from Jesus' angle instead of our own and our small view. I never, ever honestly saw frustration as an aid in praying to obtain peace. But when I began to realize this and I began to meditate on it, not in an Eastern way, but in a, in a godly way, when I began to meditate on that and I began to think about it, I began to see my life take a different turn in a good way. That when the circumstance or the issue arises and I'm sitting at that roadblock or I'm sitting at that stop sign where it seems that I can't go on because I have to wait for the sign to turn that says slow, instead of being frustrated and irritated, we have to come to a point where we take that frustration and we see it as a strategy and we take it to God in prayer and we turn our frustration into strategic prayer before God. And when we do that, the peace of God begins to rise up within us far greater than what we've ever seen. Because we begin to have a different view, a different angle than our current one. Because we're seeing through God's eyes. Another way to reduce stress is to engage a positive focus. Resilient living is key to maintaining a positive focus. You have to understand, I'm not one of those people who are like, God, I was being the positive, man. You know, think positive. Get all the negative energy out. Think positive. All right? I don't believe in that junk. I believe in Christ. I believe in sin because it's real. It happens. That's the negative. But I believe in life. That's the positive. But see, resilient living, it means to recover rapidly. Resilient living is key to our positive focus. The Apostle Paul demonstrated this time and time again, but one of the other men in the Word of God that I saw this lived out consistently was the Apostle Peter. I mean, think about this guy. He had an anger issue. He had a hate issue. He didn't have any trust with anyone. And by the time he was done, he denied Christ. He betrayed him. 
He wasn't really a good friend to have around, technically. Those aren't the type of people that you look for to hang in your crew. But we see that there was this resilient living with Peter. Where he immediately was restored. He repented for what he did and went right back to what he was doing. One of the things is is that we have to understand as followers of Christ is we cannot settle into the current issues of our lives, the current roadblocks. We have to be resilient in what we're doing. We have to rebound quickly. That when we fall down, we have to get back up because the enemy wants us to stay put. The enemy wants us to sulk. The enemy wants us to get worn out and tired and say, I can't deal with this. Paul says, no, maintain a positive focus, look forward, rebound immediately, and get back into it. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I remember when I went into high school, I went to a Christian school, and the principal used to play this song. And it's so funny how our view back then somehow revisits our current. But I remember him playing this song, and every chapel service, he would always come in with his guitar, and he would always sing. He's like, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, you know, and he'd be like, think on these things. And I'm like, this is the most annoying song. (laughs) And I hated that song because all that would go through my head was like these little people, these little munchkins from the Wizard of Oz. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, you know. And so... So when I would hear this, I would be like, I I just don't like that. But now, when I'm reading this, I think back and I'm like, he was onto something. He was onto something. He had something that I didn't have. If Satan can't conquer the lowest place within us, then he can't conquer the remainder of us. I want to repeat that. If Satan can't conquer the lowest places within us, then he can't conquer the remainder of us. Paul instructs us how to do this, how to live that which is praiseworthy, that which is admirable. Our positive focus means that we continue to live these things out by thinking on them and living them out. That's how you gain a positive focus. It's not by listening to a CD set on positive thinking. It's not about doing the one, two, three action steps to go and serve in a positive manner. It starts here in the Word of God because those things aren't going to last. This is where it begins and where it ends He takes the words and he breaks them down. The word true, it actually means what is reliable and honest. 
Focus on that which is reliable and that which is honest. He says, look at those things that are noble, meaning that which is worthy of respect. He uses the word right, or that which is worthy of God's approval. So if you're in your circumstance and you just can't get out of it and you're so stressed out, ask yourself, am I doing what is worthy to God's approval? Am I doing what is honest and noble? Am I doing what's worthy of respect? He uses the words pure and lovely. That actually means what's pleasing to others. Am I doing something that's pleasing to others? He uses the word admirable. It means what's praiseworthy and attractive to Jesus. So when you're sitting at your roadblock, or you've arrived at the sign that says road closed, and you're fed up, is your response admirable to Christ? Are you focusing on that which is true? Are you focusing on which that which is just going to fall away? Paul knows that we engage these attributes and we center our minds on them. That when we do that, we're going to live like Christ followers. And we're going to be unstoppable. Some of us in here, you're not unstoppable at the moment. Because you're stopped. Christ wants to bring you to a place where you become unstoppable for his kingdom. But you can't get past here. You're still having a hard time because you don't want to take the sign that says detour. You pulled your relationship over to the side, that relationship with God, you pulled it over to the side on the road because you see the sign that says detour and you don't like it. And so now your stress level has gone to a whole new level. And then the complaining starts setting in. Well, why God? Why the detour? I thought everything was good. Well, what, God? Is there sin in my life now? Is that why you're holding me up? There's a reason why he's pointing you to the detour. The least we can do is focus on that which is noble, that which is just, that which is true, and be motivated by that. Resilient warriors of God exalt him through their lifestyle. Ask yourself, am I a resilient warrior in my situation? Or have I hung up my weapons to rebound, to regain over this situation? Because God is looking for resilient warriors who exalt him in all of the situations we face. Not just those that are going great. One thing I encourage us, let's stop wasting time on the enemy. Let's stop wearing ourselves out with what the enemy is doing. Because we know the enemy is always going to do until Christ returns. 
But the most that we can do is take that energy that we are wasting on the enemy and spend it all on God. Instead of looking under every little circumstance to see where the enemy has slipped in, let's take every little bit of our energy and look to see where Jesus has entered the situation. That is having a positive focus. One thing I learned from Paul is that he received his strength and his stamina to overcome by focusing on God's heart and not focusing on the situation. I mean, Paul could have wrote some pretty depressing letters to the churches. He could have focused the whole time on his imprisonment, about how he was thrown out of places where he wasn't welcome, where he was stoned, where he was shipwrecked and beaten and whipped. Paul said, no way. I'm going to maintain a positive focus. I'm going to take all of my energy and I am going to invest it into displaying the majesty of Christ. I'm going to be a threat to the enemy with my pen every way possible that I can. I don't need a stage. I don't need a voice. I don't need a crusade. I'm going to write it out and I'm going to threaten the enemy in the worst way. And at the same time, I'm going to glorify and exalt Jesus Christ. That's what we need. That's what we need. That's what we need to do in our situations. So I leave you with this. No matter how intense the stress, Jesus is faithful to get us through it. So what we're going to do in a moment, Dave and the worship team are going to come up. What we're going to do in a minute is we're going to sing. Because I have learned that there are times to come before God and to weep. And there are times to come before God and to repent. There are times to come before God in request. And there are times to come before the Lord to celebrate. But I have learned that the best time to celebrate is in the moments that we don't want to celebrate. The best time to sing is in the moments that we don't want to sing. We just want to complain. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And like I said, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I'm more than confident of somebody that does. And it's Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you this morning that if you want to pass the stress test, you want to pass the stressful test that you're in, start to sing. Start to celebrate. It's going to do two things. One, it's going to really tick the enemy off. But most of all, it's going to exalt Christ in your situation, in your circumstance. And it's really going to prove, are you Lord in your circumstance, or is he? Dave, I'm going to ask that you lead us through this song, and then I'll come back and I'll dismiss us.
stand here today united united as one declaring that the overflow of your heart into ours gives us a fresh new perspective of what it is that you have for us father we declare that no matter how stressful the tests are in our lives we declare from this point forward that our eyes are pointed to you And that you are the source that we need. We declare that we're tired. We're tired of all the old ways that we've resorted to in our past. To deal with that stress. Father, we declare that we lay those down today. We pick up our instruments of prayer. Our instruments of the word. Our instruments of praise and worship. And Father, we declare that that will be our declaration in the midst of our stressful tests. We declare that you are God. And that no matter how bad it may seem in our physical eyes, we know that you are still in control. And that you have not left us. So Jesus, we declare that we are a people of confidence. A people of greater faith. A people of love. So, Jesus, I just pray that the remainder of this week, Lord, the very words that were spoken here today will burn in our hearts. That it won't just be another sermon we forget about, God, but, Lord, that we will take these principles of the word and apply them in our lives. That we will make room for them to grow within us. And, Father, we declare that when the enemy comes to steal and to rob from us, I pray, Lord, that we will resort to you, the one who takes care of all things in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Have a good week.